0: Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. Amen. Well, um, I grew up in a different country, but growing up for the most part of my life, I thought Christianity is boring. And uh, you look at me like you've never experienced that, but that's okay. I know you're faking it. Um, Because for me, Growing up, my parents sort of forced me. And if you're a Russian-American, or if you're just Russian, we're American. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm talking If you grew up in a Christian family, okay, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you go to church because your parents make you to go to church. Sure. And we couldn't, we, we, I couldn't go and dance because, because that was sinful. And uh, don't ask. Uh, that's, that was the theology back then. Um, and we couldn't have a Christmas tree in the house, because that was from the enemy, and, 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 and a lot of things like that that I still don't, they still don't make sense to me, uh, but, you know, and I remember I was in high school here, and we went to some, um, some event, and one of the girls was like, hey, can you, can, you, can you dance with me, and I'm like, oh, my stomach really hurts, so, <laughs> and I just dismissed myself and went to the hotel because I had no idea how to dance, um, uh, yeah, sorry, I repented, Um. <laughs> So growing up, man, I, I just always, I was in church, and I was, I was kneeling in church, and, and I, I knew that that was sort of the right thing to do, but I always kind of looked, if I could use a metaphor, right, like I always looked outside of the window, out there, my friends are having fun, out there, I don't, my friends don't have to put up with what, what I have to put up, so I've always kind of looked from, you know, on one hand, I looked from the outside in, like, I want, I want to do what they do. Why, why can't I do this or that or that or that? And even when we moved here, like, we were, we went to a very conservative Russian church, and and, and there was the same thing, where I couldn't do a lot of things. And, and I've, I've always wondered why, it seemed like everything that I wanted to do that was supposedly fun, it was also sin. And, and I've always just kind of looked at that, and I'm like, why can't I just... You know, go hang out and, and and do all that. And one day, I came across this amazing, uh, this this amazing verse. And John ten ten, says this: the thief, uh, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, Jesus saying this, my purpose is to give them or us a rich and satisfying life. I'm like, that sounds pretty fun to me, right? Like wait a second, Jesus came that I might have life, and not only have life, but f- have it to the full, have abundant life. And I'm like, somewhere along the line, I've just sort of missed that. I, I came across this verse and I'm like, well, that sounds fun. So why is it that every single thing that support, uh, supposedly brings me to life, it almost, it's sinful? Why is it that I can't do a lot, of, a lot of things and my parents are so strict about this? Well, my parents, bless their heart, they tried to do their best. And my, my dad never went to Bible school. And all he did is read the Bible. And I still don't agree with him in everything theologically. If you agree with every, like most of us disagree on a lot of different issues, but we, we agree on some things, right? Like, so hopefully we need to agree on the basics. So, so I just didn't understand that. Why my parents constantly made me do all these things that it, it seems like, well, I'm just doing it, but my heart is not there. What's the point of it all? And then I graduated high school, and some years passed by. And then I saw the people that were in high school, that I wanted to be so, I wanted to be in with the crowd. I wanted to hang out with them. But I never really made it in with the with the popular kids. And I ne- I could never go to dances and all these things, right? Like, And I looked at that, and I'm like, man, I missed out in high school. But then I, I graduated high school, and five years down the road, some of the friends that I graduated with, Graduated from a five year rehab because they were in deep addictions to either meth. And it doesn't seem like drugs is as much of a problem today, but back when I was growing up, like it was everywhere. You know, I, I would say at least, I will know at least five or seven of my close friends who are addicted to meth. And then I would hear all these stories about this guy who has a pregnancy out of wedlock and, and someone got infected, and like it was just a mess. And I'm, I look at that and I'm like, well, obviously those things weren't exactly that fun. Now, what were they? I met with one of my friends and I was like, man, I know you. I remember you. You were in high school. Like, I always wanted to hang out with you guys. This is about eight years after. And he's like, well, trust me, Slavik you do not want to hang out with us because that crowd and that influence caused me eight years of brokenness. And I, I'm just finally making my way back into to the church. So, so is it really fun if, you know, the enemy comes, right? Like God gives you a gift, sex, for example, and it's a beautiful thing. It's kind of like God coming, giving you a organic, beautiful apple, right? And The enemy comes and says, "Well, yeah, but my apple's so much bigger. It looks so much nicer, but it's made out of wax." You know So you're like, "Oh, well, so the enemy comes. C.S. Lewis says that the enemy has never created a pleasure. He's only perverted what God has created as a pleasure. So he comes and says, oh, here, let me offer you sex. But this one comes with a whole bunch of other problems. It's kind of like, I've said this before, right? Like where you you have a stomach ache or you have a headache and and you're like, man, maybe I should take some pills. And you look and you're like, side effects, diarrhea. This, and you're like, oh, I'll take the headache. Thank you very much. I think I'm good with, the side effects are worse than what you have. I had some uh, nerve problems in my legs like a few years back and, and you know, like, they prescribe me some medications. I'm like, I, I want to go and see what the effects of this are, right? So I look at side effects on Wikipedia, because it's the most trusted source ever. Uh, like, so I, I look it up, right? And then it tells me that most people that take this become suicidal. And I'm like, no, I- I'll-, I'll deal with my nerve problems. Like, I, I think I'm good. You know, so so the, what the enemy does is he comes, he offers you the same pleasure that God has designed. And he said, let me pervert that because it's going to look better. But it comes with um, possible STDs. It comes with a few years of addiction. It comes with maybe being chained to a person you don't like for about 18 years because you have child support, right? Like, so it comes with all these things. So my question that becomes, is it really fun? Because my idea of fun would be to to enjoy other people's company without and leaving without feeling guilty and ashamed and all these other STDs and other things that come with what the enemy offers. is it really fun if it messes up your life like that? So then it becomes, and I want to mention a few things that you've probably heard before, but I want to mention again. And this is it, that sin will always take you farther than you want to go. If you look throughout the Old Testament, you're gonna see a lot of people that they thought, "Oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do this one thing." Like you know, David, for example, he's supposed to be at war, but he's chilling, right? And then he got, he was walking on the roof, and then Bathsheba didn't close her blinds, he didn't close his blinds either, and he's just like, "I'm just gonna have her over. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have, I'm just gonna have dinner with her." You know, I, I, I gotta get to know my neighbors, right? Like, I, he, I'm sure he justified it. Right? So, so he, he invites her over, he sleeps with her, and then we know that all they entailed. Solomon, oh, maybe I should have one wife, maybe two or three or four, or maybe 700. And then it says that the, those wives actually caused him to leave the God that he knew. And he built this amazing temple for the Lord, but then he started sacrifices, uh, to sacrifice kids on a different mountain to different gods. It's just uh, having two wives instead of one. That's, that's the big deal. It is a big deal. Well, the Israelites, oh, you know, uh, just a little bit of complaint here, or there, and there. And then what should be taken two or three weeks to get from one place to another it took 40 years. It took them farther than they expected. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. He, sin will take you farther than you want to go. For maybe you can't relate to that, but I'll put it in a way that maybe you can't relate. It's just a picture. It's just a, PG-13 movies nowadays are pretty filthy already. But you just sort of like, oh, it's just—it's not a big of a deal. And you, you well, it's one image, and then leads you to be somewhere on Instagram or Twitter where, and then it's another image, and it, it goes on and on and on and on. And then you kind of wonder, like, where did I get into all this? By the way, I did a video on this, so um, shameless plug—it went out today. No, I'm joking. <laughs> But no, seriously, seriously, like when, when you have sin takes you farther and farther, I, I remember my own life, like my, my, my struggle with pornography when I was 17, well 17, 18. It was just a little thing. And then he led more and more and more. Where did he lead, Where did he lead David? David, he not only slept with her, but then her husband comes home while well, he summons his home, because she's pregnant, so he has to kind of justify this. And he says, okay, David, um, David tells to Uriah, which is her, her husband, Bathsheba's husband, can you go and just ha- have a day off? But what he's thinking is, like, if he can sleep with her, then people would know that it's his kid, it's not mine. Right? And uh, Uriah goes, well, what are you, what are you talking about? My, my, my men are fighting on the battlefield. And you want me to compromise and just go sleep home with my wife? Like, what are you talking about? He says that David even got him drunk. And then he wakes up in the morning, and this guy's chilling on his, like he fell asleep. He says, I'm not going to my wife while my men are fighting. You want a definition of a good man? Look at Uriah. He says, I'm not going to leave my, I love my wife, but I'm not going to leave my men. If, I'm not going to sleep with my wife while my men are fighting on the war. So, so he obviously is a, is a man of integrity. So David realizes that he can't really twist, you know, him into, to this. And he sends him to war and he gives him, he gives him an envelope saying, Hey, would you give this to the commander? He says, okay, yeah. And on that, in that, in that envelope, there's a note in there saying, put Uriah in front and withdraw. So the whole army goes together and they withdraw and Uriah gets killed. So, so literally David kills, murders Uriah. Maybe you should stop David, no? No, but then he lies about it, takes her as a, as a, as a wife, and, and it keeps on going on and on and on, so that the, the, the David that she wanted to look became the, the adulterer and the, the murderer and so on and so forth. He'll take you farther than you want to go, and you'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And then sin, sin is going to make you pay a lot more than you expected to pay it'll never be enough. You know, what cost David? The kid that he had with Bathsheba died. And when I look at this whole story, right, like David sits on his throne and God says, Nathan, and Nathan says, you know, David, what would you do to a guy that like comes into the town and um, this guy is looking for a place to stay? And he finds some guy to stay at, and this guy, instead of actually choosing from all the thousands of animals that he can choose from, he actually goes to his neighbor's house and gets the only lamb that that neighbor has. You know what's it's weird is when you are in sin yourself, then you become this like righteous like well yeah because you have to keep up that image right like you have to tell people that oh you have to lower the bar right like where where you're basically saying this that hey what I did is wrong but look what they're doing right. So David sitting on his throne is like, yeah, and he's like self-righteous, and 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 David's like, wait a second. So this guy went to his neighbor's house and stole the only lamb left while he has a thousand some sheep to prepare food for for this guest. And Nathan's like, yeah, what would you do to that guy? He says, away with him. He should be killed. And Nathan looks at David and says, David, that's you. You could have chosen any girl in your kingdom, but you went for that one that was already married. Uriah had one wife and you went and you, you, you just destroyed his life. Obviously, David is, is repentant. And we see, like, I mean, if you look in Psalm 51, he says, like, God, my heart is broken. So it took him longer and made him pay. Because of what he's done, God says, I'll forgive you, but the sword will not depart from your family. The kid he has with Bathsheba dies. Later on, one of his sons, Amon, or Amon, or I don't know how you pronounce it. Amon goes and rapes his half-sister. Another of his sons, Absalom, comes and kills Amon. So you see a lot of destruction. And then Absalom pretty much rises up an army and starts going against David and chases David out of town. And obviously, there's a lot of battles and so on and so forth. And Absalom gets killed. Sin will, will pay you a lot more than you expected. So my question to you today is this. How long will you allow sin to destroy your life? And how much of a price are you willing to pay? Because you see, Satan and the enemy, he, he doesn't really, you know, he wants to attack you when he can do the most damage. You know, your little pornography addiction, it might, not, it might not matter to you right now, but when you have your family and your kids, you'll see the destruction they'll cause in your life. Oh, you have a little bit of a drinking problem. It's just you. But you will see how all that will taint your legacy. I've always thought about this. Okay, what are people going to say about us? But I think what's more important is what God's going to say of us. So then the question becomes this, okay, Slavic, if you say that, hey, we should stand up and fight this, okay, you've told us how horrible we are. Tell us the good news, right? Like, how do we fight this? Because honestly, we sing these songs, like, I am a victor, and I am, I am a conqueror in Christ. We say all these things. And at church, we say, like, oh, you're, you're doing good. I'm doing so good. Brother, I, I'm, I'm just doing so good right now. But you know, you're lying, right? Like, a lot of times we just say things that we just don't mean. So how do we change that? Because if if Jesus has finished on the cross when he said that it is finished, when Jesus said that his sacrifice is enough, then why is it that I'm still struggling? My job here is not to make you feel even more guilty than you already do. My job here is to say, okay, where's the hope? how do i implement these these things in my life how do i change things around how do i completely transform my life around because we claim these big things but but our our lives we live the same well here's the thing we we have to understand is in the u.s government there's three branches anybody know how many like so so there's three but what they are there's the um legislative there's the... Everyone's just like, I'm a major uh, in the history. Uh, legislative, and then you have the executive, and then you have the judicial, right? So the legislative, the Congress and the Senate, they make the laws. So they say, you should not drive over 60, 60 miles per hour. And then you have the executive department, which is the police and the president and all that, and they execute basically what the legislative department have legislated. Does that make sense? So think about this. If The Congress made the laws, but there's no police to enforce it. Those laws are useless. So so you have to have both. You have to have someone that legislates it and then someone that enforces it, right? And then you have the Judicial Department, which kind of tells you, okay, did you break or did you not, and so on and so forth, right? And they judge, right? When it comes to Christianity, we understand that Jesus legislated our freedom, What he's done on the cross, he said, "You no longer have to live as slaves. You are free." For example, when Abraham Lincoln legislated that no longer the people will no longer be slaves, it was called the uh, Proclamation of Emancipation, right? Like where what he allowed for everyone to be free, there were still masters that kept on to their slaves. You know why? Because nobody knew that this law was passed. So some people say. Some some people put it about 18 months before everyone got the point that hey we can no longer do this anymore. Okay, so so think of what's happening here. The legislative department made some laws and said from now on everyone's free, but because they didn't know, these people were still slaves. So what Jesus has done on the cross, He's made the laws. He said you no longer have to serve Satan. I crushed His head. But the church has to enforce those laws. You have to go forward and you have to proclaim it. You have to defend yourself. You have to, you know, when, when we have verses that say, say this, that, you know, um, resist the enemy and he'll flee. Right? So, So we are given power in the name of Jesus to say, you no longer are a master of my destiny. Just like those slaves could actually go up to their master and say, you can no longer hold me because... Everyone's free. So I think what we do well is we, we proclaim our, creed, our, our, our freedom in Christ, but we don't really force it. So this is what we a lot of times get stuck on because most of the time we have a lot that's going on in our own lives and we feel weak So when we talk about putting on the whole armor of God, I want to read this one more time. It says, Be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power. Put on all God's armor, so you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Right? For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits, in the heavenly places, we are fighting an enemy that is not physical. You know, not only that, but we actually have three enemies. You have the enemy who's constantly. Uh, there's, there's a passage that says that the enemy is like, um, is like a roaring lion, right? So you have Peter five eight says, "Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your ad- adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion." So the enemy, think of like people think of. Satan as a guy in red tights with, with horns, and it's just like it's a cheesy version. But the Bible describes it as a roaring lion seeking, seeking who to devour. That's not something you mess with. So we don't want to downplay the threat. What we need to do is understand the victory that was achieved for us and start declaring that. And understand that people are not your enemy. Your parents are not your enemy. Your friends are not your enemy. Uh, Hillary Clinton isn't. Donald Trump isn't. Like all the other people that you think they might be a threat, they aren't. What is a threat is the enemy and its principalities, where the demon, uh, when his minions, you could, you could call them. That's what's a threat to us. Another, another enemy that we have, it's not much of an enemy, but, but it's still something that weighs us down. It's our own flesh, something that it's in us, that our own corrupt nature, that enemy just kind of comes and kind of sniff it. It's good, right? And you're like, oh, cause you're, you're getting drawn away by your own desires. So, so your, your very nature is, is corrupt. So you need to have the Lord crucify that constantly every single day. And it's not a good process. I mean, it's a good process, but it's not an enjoyable process is what I'm saying. When he constantly asks you to die to your own, your own, uh, you know, your own dreams and hopes and all these things, for you to die to your own ego and take up his calling and what God says. It's a process. And the, the final enemy that we have is the world and its ideologies, right? Like we have so much people that come up with, with these ideas. So again, we're not, our fight is not against people, but these ideas, they exalt themselves above the knowledge of Christ. And the Bible says we got to cast them out. Any kind of idea, that exalts itself above the knowledge of Christ. We need to cast it out. So how do we do that, right? Well, put on God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy. It says this, then after the battle, you'll be able to stand firm, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body of armor of God's righteousness. So he gives this kind of like picture of the belt of truth. Well, Paul is writing this, right? And he is looking at, maybe he's in prison and he's looking at a guard and he says, look, that belt is holding because the the belt back in the day, they would have their, like their uh, sword right here. So the belt kind of holds everything in place. So the belt of truth is no matter what you do, you have to be prepared. And he, it has to, everything has to be held on by truth. The reason we lose our wars is imagine if I decided that, hey, we're going to go and um, I think there's a conflict in Afghanistan or like Syria, right? And I show up and I'm like, I think I got this. I'm going to fight. And I show up on flip-flops and an Abercrombie and, and fit sh- shirt, you know, right? Like, let's do this. What, what would you think would happen? The commander would probably be like, what the heck are you doing? Get this fool out of this place. But a lot of times we have the same mentality when it comes to our Christianity, where we don't actually strap ourselves with all these things, and we go on to the battlefield, and then you wonder why the first bullet gets you down. Maybe because you haven't put on everything. So it has to be, so, so what's one of the most important things that you have to do? You have to put the belt of truth. What's the greatest weapon against lies? Truth. Uh, My friend would uh, take my car, and then he called me like, bro, where's your insurance? And I'm like, whoa, 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 what do you need my insurance for? Uh, Don't worry about it. We kind of got into a little thing. I'm like, what do you mean a little thing? Like, right? And then, but if somebody would call me, it's like, hey, Alex is about to prank you. Well, I was expecting that phone call, you know? Alex calls me like, hey, bro, uh, I think we got (laughs) a nice try, Alex. I know that you're trying to prank me right now right? So it changes the whole dynamic. When you know the truth, you're no longer held by the power of the lie. Because you see, when, when I know where I think my car is totaled, right? I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I'm like, oh, how much is it going to cost? You, you are under this worry constantly. But when you know the truth, you no longer have to fear that. You no longer have to be under the threat of that lie, so everything has to be strapped by that. And, and the next thing is to put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is kind of like the, the bulletproof vest. How do you encounter everything that, that the enemy throws at you? Well, back in the day, they had a breast, breastplate, which, which is literally a, a bulletproof vest. So the vial of organs will be covered. It says, put on his righteousness. We know that we don't go against the enemy on our own. We know that we go against the enemy in the righteousness of Jesus he fulfilled the things that we couldn't fulfill and because of that i can go against the enemy and he, none of none of those bullets can really get to me so you put on truth you you put on your bulletproof vest right and he goes on to say this stand your ground and then it says for shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so you'll be fully prepared. Um, the Romans would have on their shoes, they would have spikes. So those spikes, when they would fight, they would set them down, right? And that would help them grab onto the, the ground and then fight, right? What this illustrates to is put on the shoes of the gospel. A lot of Christians, they think that all they have to do is just play defensive, right? Like As long as you know, the enemy doesn't get me, like as long as I'm pure and stuff, well, good luck with that. Imagine like Seahawks have the same mentality. We don't have to do anything. We just have to defend ourselves. Do you think that they would win? You can't win like that. You have to go on the offensive. You have to go in the territory of the enemy. Jesus says that I will build my church and the church, the gates of, of hell will not prevail against the church which is kind of weird to me i've said this before but i want to drive this point home right how does a church i mean how does a gate like gates don't attack people right so i've always thought that somehow the gate is like the gates of hell will not you know prevail against it but that's not what it says what that means is the gate of hell is here and the church is going to come and intrude on the ground that hell has So the gates of hell will not be able to withstand the offense of the gospel is what it's saying, right? So so we as Christians are not just to play back and say, well, I'm just going to be, you know, playing defensive. It's about saying, Lord, what have you called me to do? I want to conquer ground. I want to see my friends saved. God, I want to see you move in my generation. God, I want to be part of what you're doing here today. I want to see you move in me, in my friends. That's what I want to do, God. We have to go on the offensive here, right? So put on the t- belt of truth, cover yourself with the bulletproof vest of, of, of God's righteousness, of Jesus' righteousness, and then go on the offensive. And he goes on to this, in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. So what stops What stops the, the arrows of the enemy? The shield of faith. They would... You know, the Romans would, would do this, and they would put up the, the, the shield up, and, you know, they would protect themselves. Tonight, tonight I, I came across an article, and I've mentioned it to our leaders today, but I don't know if you guys know the, the singer Avicii, right? Like, very EDM popular star all over the world. And then his family released a statement saying that, uh, really kind of giving a clue that he actually committed suicide So you're thinking, how does someone that is so influential, that's all over the world and is worth some $86 million, right? How does some, you know how it does? The enemy, all he has to do is, if, if there's no faith, if there's no, if we don't have a hope beyond this world, nothing can ever make you alive. So put on the shield of faith few more and then we're going to go towards the the illustration put on salvation put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit which is the word of god so put on the shield and then you put the helmet of salvation the helmet of salvation is if you think of countries that would go and fight a war the first thing they want to do is take out the intelligence they would take out the radio stations they would take out any form of communication So the enemy does is he comes after your head, he comes after your mind, and he infiltrates you that way. So we need to do is put on the helmet of salvation that protects you from that. And and what that basically means is that regardless, every single time I feel like giving up and I feel desperation, I feel depressed, I can say, you know what? I know who my Redeemer is and who is gonna save me, and, and this is what's gonna protect my head from actually me going crazy, quite frankly. This is what the, uh, the helmet of salvation is. It's putting that, hey, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, there's hope after death. There's hope to see my dad again. There's hope to see my friends again. There's hope that this life is not just what it is. It's more than this. Put on the helmet of salvation. And on to the last is, and take up the sword, which is the word of God. Start memorizing this. And every single time you feel de- desperate, say, you know what? I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Every single time you feel like I, you have no purpose, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Start memorizing this, and every single time then he comes around you with, this is your, your sword of salvation. I mean, this is your sword of, of, of fighting, sorry. This is the words of, of the living God. He says when, when they go out, they won't come back empty. And look at this, verse 18 before I say this verse, I want, I want to ask you, have you noticed that none of these things protect you from the back? So what do you think protects you from the back? I mean, you have this here, you have the shield, you have the, you know, the, the helmet of salvation, you have everything in front, but who, who's got your back? Is what I'm saying. Look at this. Verse 18 says this, pray in the spirit at all times on an every occasion. Listen to this. Stay alert, and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. What Romans would do is they would form a, a like, basically a, a cartwheel, if you will, and they would fight back to back. So who's got their back? Their fellow so- a soldier. It says, Pray, be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So we have our back covered by our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who pray for you. Every single time you feel like giving up, someone says, hey, you know what? I've been praying for you. I want to say that this is what the Lord says to you. This is what he's been impressing on me. So my question to you is this. Who is that person in your life that covers your back? Who is that group of friends that covers your back? And if you don't have that but I encourage you to find some. That's why I think this is so important. We're not here just to make, oh, something on Friday night. We want to build a community of people that are passionate for the Lord. People that stand back to back, say, I will fight this battle with you. And I will stand against the enemy, all his schemes. We will stand through thick and thin. We, no matter how many times you feel like giving up, I'm going to be here for you. But here's a few things I want to mention. If you are dealing with any kind of depression or any kind of addiction, Any kind of addiction, you're going to have to fight it on three fronts, okay? There's, when it comes to an addiction, there's always a spiritual side, okay? If you are addicted to porn and you wonder why it's so tough to get rid of it, it's because it's a spiritual issue, okay? So we're going to have to address this, uh, you know, spiritually. We're going to have to, you know, be intentional about this and seek deliverance, you know, you're going to have to have the Holy Spirit come and, and cleanse the heart and then take up residence within your heart. So that's, you cannot be free of pornography unless there's a spiritual change in the heart. So, so this is one area that you're going to have to fight On one front you're going to fight it. Another front you're going to have to fight it is in your soul and your emotions, okay? What I mean by that is, is there's a lot of people that you go around and you start making soul ties with other people that you shouldn't be tying yourself with. You know, some people get into depression, despair, because they don't have healthy relationships. So you have to put yourself in a place where you are loved and, and accepted and, you know, kind of celebrated and and rebuked, Right? by people that are around you. So on a soul level, all of us need to have friends that will hug you and say, hey, you know what? I'm here with you. So you have to, there's another front there, the, the emotional side of, of things. You have to make sure that you don't just kind of fight it spiritually, but you're also going to have to place yourself in the position where people speak love into your, your heart, people that speak truth into your, your life. So on a soul level, you have to develop those relationships. You have to surround yourself with a church body. You have to surround yourself with, with people, with godly, hopefully parents that you have in your life, godly friends. And the last front you're going to fight it is in your physical life. You know, it's one thing to seek deliverance, and you have to do that. But don't be dumb enough to put yourself in the same situations that led you to your destruction. I, you know, since I got delivered, the first thing that I do when I buy a phone or a computer, the first thing that I do is I install accountability software. That's the first thing that I do. And filtering software. If you have an addiction with drinking, then you're probably going to have to depart ways of some of your old friends. And you probably... Bars, it's not a place for you to hang out. You know, if if you have an ungodly relationship, spending time with that person, again, it's not advisable. There'll be a time when you can go back and reach your friends, but right now, you need to seek the Lord. So physically, you might not have a choice of the things that, that come into your mind, but you have a choice where you physically place yourself. You have a choice if you are here on friday nights where on sunday mornings where you go uh, uh, small groups on wednesday where you just have a godly friend that you have coffee with you have a choice where you place yourself physically where you can be encouraged or not you have a choice if your phone has a, a filtering software or not you have a choice if, if tv is a place for you to rip off the cable from the wall you could do that you know Apostle Paul, to me, it's amazing. It's like if you think about the most spiritual God that has ever lived, I think it was Apostle Paul outside of Jesus. But he says, I've I've disciplined my body. So after I preach to others, I won't myself be disqualified. So we have to put boundaries and parameters. You know, there will be a time where you can reach back to your friends. But if you're dealing with anything, if you're dealing with depression or the spirit of suicide, this is not a time for you to be alone. This is not a time for you to isolate yourself. This is a time to seek friends, people that would, would you know, pray for you and have you delivered from this. Because that's what enemy wants. He wants you to be isolated and then he gonna attack you. So you're going to have to fight it on all three fronts. You're going to have to fight it spiritually. You're going to have to fight it on a soul and emotional level. And then you're going to have to fight it on a physical level. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance and until next time, God bless you.